Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. I often come across people that uh, ask a question that goes something like this. I have X thousand pounds to invest in property, what should I do? And today we're going to consider how we could answer that question where X is equal to 150,000 pounds. And next time we're going to look at a different situation where perhaps the amount of X is a a lower value than £150,000. However, for now, let's just take a look at some of the options we might consider with a reasonable size investment pot such as this. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. I recently came across a forum post that went something like this. I'm a new investor. I have investments and access to equity that would give me a starting investment part of around about £150,000. There you go. I told you it's based on a real situation. I'm looking to purchase three to four properties in a short time scale. Am I best using the £150,000 above uh, to purchase one property? Or am I better apportioning the amount into funding deposits and arrange buy-to-let mortgages to purchase four properties instead? Now, this was a mentioned, it was a forum post, and my response went something along the following lines, but uh, I've elaborated a little bit just for your benefit, dear listener. Now, first of all, I would always say start with, you know, by knowing what is you want to achieve. This is the why and the what, if you like, certainly before deciding on the strategy or the how. And this is such a fundamental and, and uh, you know, fundamental point, and a significant number of new or even fairly experienced property investors dive straight into strategy. Should I buy, uh, sorry, should I do buy to let, HMOs, flips, or development, being cases in point? Or even tactics, where should I buy? What is the greatest uh, BMV discount I should be looking for? And what tenant profile should I, should I be targeting? I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It depends. <laughs> it depends uh, on what we're trying to achieve, when we're trying to achieve it, and how much we want to try in achieving it. We should therefore start with our goals and purpose before considering strategy. And for now, at least, I'd forget tactics all you know altogether. However, before we plough ahead into the meat of uh, the subject, there is another question which is implicit within the question that's posed, and that's should I buy one or four properties? And this means we need to talk about two big subjects in property investment as well. Those are diversification and leverage. Now, whilst buying one property will keep our transaction costs down, buying more than one with a mortgage, and so between two or four and four properties, let's say, would allow us to leverage our £150,000 investment pot up to £600,000 in purchasing power. If you're an investor with a long-term time horizon, just work out 3% per annum capital growth and the corresponding net equity position on each of these scenarios and it would probably direct you to go large (laughs) and consider some form of leverage. 
And for those of you that might be driving or perhaps at the gym or a long way from a calculator right now, the results over a 20 year period are as follows. Uh, based on a single property of £150,000 bought using cash, the property value will grow to nearly £271,000 based on that 3% annual growth rate with the same amount of equity due to there being no mortgage debt to clear at the end. So we turn £150,000 into £271,000 at a 3% per annum growth rate. However, based on the four properties model, which uh, if you remember allows us to purchase up to £600,000 worth of property and using 75% loan to value mortgages, this will grow the property values to nearly £1.1 million. And that will leave a net equi equity position of over £633,000, if I get my figures right, once the mortgages are, are being cleared off. So by using mortgages to leverage up our purchasing power, we've actually multiplied our potential investment returns by a whopping 245%. And whilst I'll, uh, I'll leave you to let that sink in a little, let's just have a look at the diversification point in the meantime. So in addition to the capital and equity growth, which uh, has probably got your mind racing, or you're checking my sums at least, perhaps on a calculator you've snuck in, um, we also get the benefit of diversification by spreading our money around. So if we had one property that might be empty due to a void period or, or refurbishment, uh, let's say, refurbishment rather, then we would still have between one and three properties um, in addition, which could still be earning money for us and helping us to cover our cost base. It's clearly not just as simple as this. There are lots of other factors to take into account, such as the loan repayments, various risk factors, other costs, management time and management expense, taxation and so on. However, at face value at least, investing in four properties would seem to provide an opportunity to um, enjoy some of the benefits of leverage whilst also spreading the risk about uh, of the properties being empty uh, or potentially underperforming the national average in terms of capital growth and so on. Then of course we have the real meat of the question if you like, which I really wanted to get into in the rest of the, uh, the episode today. What should I do with £150,000? I've kind of uh, taken a little bit of uh, creative license, really, by uh, by pointing out these uh, no less than seven different potential strategies, which uh, which could be considered. Bearing in mind what I said about it depends on where you want to get to and when you want to get there. The first one, though, I'm going to call the safest houses, no debt income protection model. And yes, this is the buy one property with cash and enjoy the rental income at an annual gross return. Um, gross income return of between 5 and 7% per annum typically. And if you're looking for a steady income of around about £9,000 a year with a modest to low risk profile, then this might be the perfect plan for you. Any capital growth on top of the income would probably be a, be a bonus to you uh, to enjoy one day or possibly a legacy to leave behind instead. There would have to be a property crash, uh, property values crash, never before recorded in the UK to wipe out this asset base. Equally, as long as we select a good location with a low maintenance property, it would be fairly worry-free to manage as well. That was the first example strategy. The second one is to grow the pot. And we can grow the pot by buying, adding value and selling on at a profit to grow that investment pot. The point here being that if we have a requirement for an income stream, let's say above the £9,000 I've just mentioned, then we need to sweat our asset a little bit more, if you like, sweat our capital a little bit more. If we consider the average salary in the UK back in 2014 was £26,500, 
we might be inclined to agree that ideally we need to make our capital work a little bit harder for us if we're looking for a little bit more than that £9,000. Adding value and selling on a property allows us to add the resulting profit retained to our initial investment pot that we can then call upon at a later date. And to illustrate, if we could increase our investment fund by, let's say, 7.5% every nine months, then in just three years, we would have increased our starting investment fund of £150,000 by 33% to £200,000. And if we then applied the same principle as in the safest houses model earlier, then we could increase our gross income from £9,000 a year to £12,000 a year with only four investment projects under our belts. Alternatively, assuming that we continue to repeat this model every nine months, and I picked this time frame for a reason, it would take us 11 years to achieve a big enough investment pot capable of producing that £26,500 average annual income. That's the second alternative. The third one is to grow our asset base and uh, by doing so make the pot go further by adding value and refinancing. So this is a little bit similar to our first point, however this time we're going to refinance and retain the property and pull out something of the order of 80% or so of our initial investment and then go again. So the rinse and repeat type of model. And this could turn between you know one and four properties say into seven uh, based on the same starting fund and uh, by adopting this approach. And this could be done in about five years with uh, one project at a time. Alternatively, it could be done about half this time, around about two and a half years, if we were to run two projects at the same time in what I like to call higher deal velocity. There's the first three strategies that I wanted to explain, uh, outline then. So the fourth one is to climb up the property food chain. So if we were to buy a bigger property, we can enjoy a variation of our grow the pot or grow the asset base, uh, uh, sorry, asset base options we described earlier. And here we would buy a property for say £300,000. Uh, we'd use our investment funds of £150,000 to fund the deposits, fees and works. Uh, we'd obviously have some form of financing in place, but then we'd look to sell or refinance the uh, the property once we've turned it into a property worth £350,000 to £400,000. And the main, the main benefits of this approach are as follows. As a number of the costs involved in property transactions are, are nominal costs, they, they're, you know, they're not all percentage of the, of the property purchase price, they're, they're often a fixed fee and they, even if they're somehow linked to the property value, they're not always linear in the way that they go up. So a higher project value can actually help to reduce the impact of some of these more fixed lumpy costs, um, things like broker fees and this sort of thing come into play here, that's what I'm kind of thinking about, mortgage lender fees, that sort of thing. And uh, it could be argued that working on a slightly larger project has a similar time commitment to a smaller one, and so our personal return on time investment could also be higher. It allows us to gain access to the benefits of, of gearing through higher deal velocity and therefore to produce higher cash profits more frequently. And uh, these are often you know, happier hunting grounds, let's say, because smaller refurb projects are, are quite hard to find, as lots of people are looking for them, and they can access them more easily with smaller investment pots. So as we hunt for bigger fish, we're going to need a bigger spear gun. <laughs> and not everybody's got one of those. The fifth point is the steady long-term debt paydown model.
And this is a variation on the safe of houses, safe as houses model, if you like. And in this time, we are going to buy three or four properties and going to use a mortgage. But then we're going to do something different. We're going to throw all of our net rental income, uh, profits rather, at one property to, with the aim of paying down the debt to zero. And then we're going to repeat this on all the other properties. And of course, with one property paid down to zero, we're going to have a higher, higher net rental profit that we can throw at it. So we're going to create a snowball effect, if you like. Now we don't necessarily have to pay pay down to on the subsequent properties to pay down to twenty uh, sorry to zero percent. We can maybe pay down to say twenty five percent loan to value or even thirty three percent loan to value. Uh, create this snowball effect and then therefore a relatively low risk retirement or long term income fund if you like. And even in the biggest property crash from the regions last time out, values didn't fall below fifty percent of their previous peak. And so targeting targeting a loan to value well below this level is very prudent whilst at the same time allowing some of the benefits of leverage to be enjoyed. Of course, you know, it's eventually we're going to get to that level of loan to value. So, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time to achieve that end. The sixth strategy I wanted to outline was a short term income model. So this this is a slight variation, really, instead of just having a buy to let with a fairly vanilla return of five, six, seven percent. Instead, here we're going to buy properties capable of being rented out as, say, multi lets, HMOs, if you like, or even serviced accommodation, city lets, holiday lets, that kind of thing. And this sort of strategy does involve greater management time. However, currently the yields are a little bit higher. And um, if it's done right with the right property and uh, location selection can can bear a lot of fruit. So the short-term income model, and finally the uh, smaller, sorry, the small developer model, and and here we're going to invest in a small building plot, say, uh, and build a house, or potentially a conversion project and convert, uh, say, an office block or an office building or a shop into residential property, as an example. And we can do this either directly on our own or potentially in partnership with somebody else who's doing the same thing, perhaps on a larger scale or someone we can piggyback from, learn from and, uh, and leverage from indeed. Now, I would say lots of uh, research and advice is going to be required to, to make this work properly. However, far higher returns are actually possible. But a word of caution, along with higher returns, often comes higher risk. So if you are averse to risk too much, then, you know, perhaps it's not for you. But as always, there is a trade-off, so uh, keep that in mind. As a bit of a you know a footnote, really, to this this last point, a variation could actually be to look into uh, investing via a SAS pension, SSAS pension, and here we could actually claw back some income tax from the chancellor, hey, and create some additional leverage from him, and also potentially borrowing because a SAS can also borrow funds, and then invest into it. Have to be a, com- a commercial project because uh, SAS can't invest into residential property, uh, but into commercial conversion or something like that. Um, it is very much a, an advanced strategy and it's definitely going to need some uh, professional advice to carry out. But uh, I just thought I'd throw that in there to uh, spice things up a bit, but a little bit more advanced as we got through. But uh, there we go then, just no less than seven alternative strategies that we could adopt if we were fortunate enough to have a starting investment fund of around about the £150,000 mark. However, as I mentioned earlier, we should always start with the end in mind, again, as Covey says. And this means looking at our purpose and our goals, as each of these potential strategies will suit some more than others. And it's going to depend on the time horizon, our time capacity, our skills and our capabilities, our risk appetite, our investment return expectations, our tax status, lifestyle preferences and so on. 
But I hope it gives plenty of ideas to consider. Should you be asking yourself the question, what should I do if I have a reasonable starting investment fund along the lines of £150,000? Now, the same set of uh, strategy possibilities could also be open to people with a starting fund, potentially, let's say, in the range of, let's go, £80,000 up to £250,000, I'd say. I'm sure if you've got £79,000, it'd still be uh, in, in play, and even above £250,000, I'm, I'm pretty sure that some of those strategies are, are there as well. But, you know, these sorts of things, they'd be probably appropriate for that kind of range of investment funds. So the £150,000 mark is, is kind of in the middle of that range somewhere. But next time, uh, what I plan to do is tackle the same question, but with a much lower starting pot instead. So if you're thinking, whoa, I haven't got anything like £150,000, Richard, you know, this isn't really for me. Um, next time, it's possibly for you if you've got uh, less money available. But uh, if you've got uh, funds in the range of eighty to £250,000, maybe there's some ideas there. But do keep in mind, um, it, the strategy is very much secondary to what you're trying to achieve. And uh, hopefully that point's come over loud and clear in today's message. But that's all we've got time for today. Uh, by all means, drop me a line. As always, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. If you'd like to discuss anything more about uh, some of these options and scenarios, I'd be, be happy to uh, swap notes with you. And of course, the show notes are going to be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. But right now, though, I'd just like to say thank you very much for joining me once again on the show again today. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.